This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 189, submission number 1794, a.k.a. Pablo. A.K.A. Pablo aired on ABC from March 6th to April 10th, 1984 for six episodes. Guys, one of the main tenets of this podcast has always been every failed TV show or idea has a story. Yes. Yeah, and, of course. And nowhere is this more true than this show. Now, there have been many representations of Latinos and Latino culture before 1984, and there have been many representations of Latinos and Latino culture since. A lot of it not really long-lasting, but the ones that hit really did hit. I mean, for every One Day at a Time Netflix reboot or George Lopez, you have shows like this. Shows that try to embrace the uh, idea of the uh, of the Latin mystique, and they either try too hard, or they don't try hard enough. You can file AKA Pablo under the uh, former. It's a show that pretty much tried too hard. Yeah, I'd say so. It's the semi-autobiographical story of a young Chicano stand-up comedian who's trying to find acceptance from his family. His very large family. And it came from one of the undisputed kings of the form in Norman Lear. Y'all, and if you don't know who Norman Lear is, what podcast are you even listening to? Oh, not even that. Just get out of here if you don't know who Norman Lear is. Recently celebrated his 99th birthday. Good on you. Still with us, believe it or not. Still with us, still working. So you have, and there's actually a really good story behind this that 
Paul Rodriguez actually did an interview with the uh, Television Academy about this show. And I think, and if you guys don't mind, I, I'm going to go ahead and play a snippet of that interview. If you guys don't mind. No, of course not. All right. Here's uh, Paul Rodriguez talking to the Academy about a.k.a. Pablo. At what point did you get involved with Norman Lear? Norman Lear uh, discovered me, really. I was breaking into his house at the time. Now. <laughs> Norman Lear, uh, at the time, he, he was, and I don't mean that like he's passed away. God knows he's very much alive. Um, there was a waitress at the comedy store. I had, been, I, I had finished performing in the main room. And it was a running joke all the time. Uh, waitresses who usually were dating comedians or whatever. Uh, they, they pull your leg by saying, hey, you know, uh, uh, Norman Lear is out there. He loves you. Uh, it, it, it's, it was such a joke that nobody, uh, uh, nobody really uh, was a running gag. For example, they would, they would also say, you know, Spielberg saw you. You know, Steven, no, his brother Ike, you know, they, they, would, they would mention these guys. Whatever big celebrity there was, they would always tell me that. So after I finished doing my set, uh, this uh, waitress came up to me. She goes, Norman Lear saw you. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember I opened the back door. And I'm, about, I'm walking towards my, towards my car because I, I had another set at the improv that uh, at the time there was this rivalry. I think there still is. I don't know. Uh, and, uh, and God bless her, man. Uh, she took the time to follow me down to the parking lot. And she goes, listen to me. I'm not joking around. I don't even think you're funny, but really, Norman Lear really is out there, and he really is. And if you know what's good for you, you'll come back and we'll talk to him. And I was like, there's this thing, in, this thing in her eyes that just, I said, really? She goes, yeah, you think I'm going to be uh, chasing you for what? I was like, I don't know. You might like me. I went over there, and there he was with his little Panama hat. And, and he goes, what's your name? And I said, uh, Paul Rodriguez. He goes, where do you come from? And then he, he had an office at Tandem at Universal. And uh, he, the next day, he, he told me the, the, if I wanted to have lunch, do lunch, the typical do lunch. I went over there and just started talking to him. And he had a secretary and this, this other person next to him that was just taking notes. I don't know what he was taking notes. I didn't know that a man was rich enough to have a stenographer. And I, he wanted to know about my life. So I said, listen, where do you come from? Are those things true? Do you really live in Compton? Uh, are you really an immigrant? Is your father really like that? I said, yeah, come on over. Come, come over to the house for dinner if you'd like. And he said, yeah, of course. And uh, he picked me up, this big old limousine. And I hadn't seen my parents in a while because, again, I was kind of like the prodigal son. I wanted to be, next time they saw me, I wanted to be successful. So I went down to Compton and, and I called my mom. I said, Ma, Norman Lear is coming over to the house. She doesn't know Norman Lear from King Lear. She, she doesn't know anything. You know, she goes, uh, Fine, you invited said, okay, fine, I'll put another plate. I said, listen, there's other, you know, make it for three or four other people coming. She goes, all right, I'll just put a couple more chiladas there. We went over there to, to eat, and my father was kind of insecure, but, but hospitality is a big thing among us. Sat down, we were having dinner, and I'm so nervous, I'm praying. I got to say, I hope my father doesn't say the wrong thing, you know. How stupid of me to try to correct my father. We're eating, and right in the middle of an enchilada, father goes so my my son tells me you're an important white guy <laughs> you know <laughs> and I, I I went oh my god but Norman to his credit he, he, he laughed he goes he goes well you know I'm a white guy I don't know how important I am and then he says so 
what, what do you want with my son? He goes, well, there's nothing. I, I saw your son doing stand-up and all that. They had a conversation. My mother made some lemonade, coffee. She made some empanadas. It was delicious. Mama still can cook well. And at the end of it all, uh, Norman, out of, out of uh, generosity, but he tried to try to give my dad a check. And that didn't sit well. It didn't sit well. He, he wrote, he goes, thank you so very much for your hospitality. And my father goes, what is this? And he goes, it's just, uh, you know, I, 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 I said, I'll take it. <laughs> my father didn't like that. He goes, Not even, I don't charge to have dinner with me, please. And he goes, I didn't mean to offend. And I tried to tell my father, I said, Dad, he's not doing that for that. He goes, well, he should know. This is, this is, this is, this is not why I bring anybody comes to my house. This is not a restaurant. So I, I said, oh, my God. On the drive back, I went with him, and I'm trying out there. And he goes, he goes, I know what you're feeling. I said, no, you don't know what I'm feeling. He goes, yeah, we're not that far apart. He told me about him growing up in, uh, in uh, New, Haven. New Haven, Connecticut, the, the rough part of New Haven, <laughs> if there is. But he, he told me that he, he wasn't always Norman Lear, that he knew what poverty was, he knew what being an immigrant was. He knew all of that, and that, that our two peoples weren't all that uh, uh, different, you know, that, that the poverty was something that, that regardless of what language or what country you come from, you have that in common, and that ingratiates you. And he had a, a soft spot for that. So he... Uh, he gave me a television series and that whole summer for me was was boy it's something I, I it was wonderful and it was painful in the sense that AK Pablo came about and it was a true story as true as it could possibly be about my family how so many of us lived at home and uh, you know I went from from nobody knew who the hell you were to within a period of six months my, my face was uh, on the cover of TV Guide, and I, you, you know, you don't know what fame is like, but overnight, uh, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, they, they knew my name, like, it was still new, because I, I, I'd be someplace, and people would holler, and it was my name, and I, I was really freaking, I was going, how do you know me, and then i go, oh yeah, you know, and, and then, as fast as it came, it went. We'll get, we'll get to more of that later. So what came and went from March to April of 84. The story of a young Hispanic comic named Paul Rivera. Although that's not what his family called him. Hence the title of the show, a.k.a. Pablo. They supported his career and they really wanted him to be successful. The thing of it is, though, most of his humor and by extension, most of Paul Rodriguez's humor, was centered around his family life. The audience loved it. His family, not so much. They were very traditionalist, very set in their ways. They didn't really like the fact that uh, all of this is sort of played for, for lack of a better term, a minstrelsy. And they wanted him to be a little bit more respectful of where he come from, who he was as a person, who he was as a son, who he was as a product of this uh, Latino culture. So his family was there at every step of the way to keep him nice and grounded. And this family, uh, and again, this is one of those things where uh, Norman Lear, 
and Rick Mitz, who would go on to other future entries on this list, would sort of uh, slaughter a golden bull and uh, challenge a stereotype by uh, making it a highlight. Because in Paul's family, you have his parents, his sister Lucia, his brother-in-law Hector, their five children, his stuffed shirt brother Manuel, his flirty sister-in-law Carmen, their two children, and the old maid spinster sister Sylvia. And they all lived under one roof. That's a big family, isn't it? If I was to answer that, I would say it was a very stereotypically large family, which is kind of sad. Kind of. I, 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 I know. I, I know. Nineteen eighty-four was a lot different time than now, but to rely on the stereotyping like that with the big family. Mm, yeah. Doesn't age well. Like I said, they are basically trying to challenge the norms by magnifying the norms. And it, nine times out of ten, it doesn't work. Which is why, for some reason, this show didn't work. But let's go over all of the people who were actually in this family. Like we said, we have Paul Rodriguez as Paul Rivera. His father, Domingo, was played by a legend of the form, Joe Santos, who played Sergeant Becker, the friend of Jim Rockford on The Rockford Files. Sadly, no longer with us. He was also on Match Game and Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. Because we need our weekly Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour reference. Yeah. Of course we do. That's, that's, just, that's just logic talking. I, I, I aim to please. Oh. You 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 my you my guy, man. You're my guy. And, and also, Paulo Rodriguez, obviously, as you heard, is a stand-up comic. But and I don't think this is on the list. But dang it, it's got to be. It's about need, season four of the Newlywed Game. The entire season, not just when Paul Rodriguez took over. That entire season was a a, a, a poop show, if you will, keeping it clean for Apple. Yeah. But yeah, that, that definitely has to be on the list if it isn't. Okay. His mother, Rosa Maria Rivera, was played by uh, a veteran of Mexican film, television, and theater, Katie Jurado. Sadly, also no longer with us, but she did, she's known more for, uh, she was the first Latin American actress to be nominated for an Oscar in Broken Lance in 1954. And she actually was the first Latin American actress to win a Golden Globe for High Noon in 1952. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. And she's uh, one of the ex-wives of Ernest Borgnine. Well, there you go. You're 91 years old. You look fantastic. You look like you're in your late 60s, early 70s. What's the secret? I don't dare tell you. <laughs> no meat. You don't eat meat. I masturbate a lot. Hey, most true thing ever said on Fox and Friends. Oh, Jesus. Didn't need to know about a 90-year-old sex secrets. Mm-hmm. Anywho. 
play the role of his sister Lucia was Martha Velez, who is what was she was known as a that woman from that thing. She was in Falcon Crest, 187, uh, Safe LA Law, Fairy Tale Theater as the lady servant in Aladdin and his wonderful lamp. Oh, oh, Aladdin and his wonderful lamp with Robert Carradine and James Earl Jones as the genie. Mm-hmm. I had my grandparents had that videotape of Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater, and I watched the crap out of that episode. It was great. Well, there you go. When, when we, <laughs> it's a future entry too. You're darn right; it's a future entry. That's what I was going to add. When we, it's gonna I be, can't... How can a how can a beloved TV show only last for so many episodes over a long time? That's going to be the subject of that episode. It cost a lot of money. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Okay, her husband, her husband Hector, is played by Arnaldo Santana, who is known for he was she he was in Cruising with Al Pacino, Scarface also with Al Pacino. That's pretty much all he was in. Well, and also, he died real young. Oh, yeah. Th- three years later at age 37. Yep, he was, he was wow. Yeah, Mere, merely a kid almost. Yep. And then you have uh, Bert Rosario, who you would know from future entry, Sword of Justice, as Manuel Rivera. He's been in a lot of things. He was in Future Entry, The Neighbors. Wait, when you say The Neighbors, you mean the 2012 Neighbors, Yes, right? the, the, the Neighbors, the 2012 Neighbors. And when you mean Eeyore, you mean Eeyore the drama, right? Yes. Not Eeyore the comedy. Yes. He was also in uh, George Lopez and Chicago Hope. And oh, oh, two connections to Chicago Hope in this oh, episode. Yeah. Yep, and, and he would reunite with Paul Rodriguez in the in the movie A Million to One. <laughs> I remember that movie. Never saw it, but I remember that title. Oh what a gosh. pun! A million to one. Boy, that's yep. just forced racism. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he was in a lot of future entries. He was a that he was a that guy from that thing for a long time. Still is. I have to wonder if he was, was he on an episode of Match Game? If he wasn't, he should have been. He was not. He was not, no. That's sad. Sorry. A guy who did so much couldn't find time to do Match Game. His wife, Carmen, was played by Maria Richwine, who is known for playing Conchita in Hamburger, the motion picture. Among Mm. other things. Hamburger the motion picture, not to be confused with Hot Dog the movie. Yes. Ha ha, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. And fun, fun fact was a bunny at the Los Angeles Playboy Club in the 1980s. Wow! Yep. It was also played a nun in the new Mike Hammer. The new Mike Hammer. Not the old Mike Hammer. The new Mike Hammer. Even though both had Stacey Keach. Yep. For some reason, they separated with 
by calling the second version the new Mike Hammer for whatever reason. There you go. Don't know why. Okay. Okay. And the last of his siblings was Sylvia, played by Alma Cuervo. She, I believe, she had the in, she had the uh, famous and credit. But yeah, she is still active to this day. She was in Bull this past year. A couple of years ago, she was in City on a Hill, and she is actually going to be on an episode on a, on a show that we're going to cover eventually. 2015's The Slap. Oh yeah! Yes, The Slap. The slap. Yeah, we Zachary got- Quinto's gonna slap you. Zachary Quinto is gonna slap a kid, and it's going to be hilarious. Oh jeez. <sighs> okay, and like like we said before, like we said before. Oh, hold on a second! You didn't mention one person. I'm getting there. Okay. Well, I'm actually, getting, there's I'm, two I'm people. Get, I'm gonna get to there. Uh, like I said, big family. Come on. Okay, Lucia and Hector have five children. They are Ana Maria, played by Claudio Gonzalez. Susana, played by Martha Gonzalez, Mario, played by Beto Lovato, Elena, played by Michelle Smith, and Tomas, played by a very young Mario Lopez. And if you don't know who Mario Lopez is... Have you been in a coma for 40 years? What podcast are you even listening to? You clearly haven't seen Candy Crush. (laughs) Hey... We talked about him last December in A Recipe for Seduction. And, and obviously you talked about him in Saved by the Bell. Hawaiian uh, style. style. Right. And, and we're going to talk about him later this month in the for co- our back to school show. With the college years, yes. Can't oh, wait. yes. We got to talk about Bob Golick. Oh, yeah. And we're always down to talk about Bob Golick. Oh, right. yeah. Right. Manuel and Carmen have two kids of their own, Linda, played by Edie Marie Rubio, and Nicholas, played by Antonio Torres. And rounding out the cast was Paul's best friend and agent, Jose Sanchez, a.k.a. Joe Shapiro, played by Hector Elizondo. And guys, if you don't know who Hector Elizondo is... Go to hell. Seriously, go to hell. That, that's actually a lot better than what podcast are you listening to? Just go to hell. <laughs> yes, because come on, Hector Elizondo, freaking legend. He is. Mm-hmm. And, and also, he's in a, another future installment. If we can get footage of this, he was in Foley Square with Margaret Colon as an attorney. To review, we have the talents of Norman Lear. We have the talents of Paul Rodriguez. We have a bunch of talented actors. And it seems like the premise was really sound. So, uh, six episodes? Six episodes? Six episodes. You want to go over what Paul has to say about the show, or do you want to go over the episodes first? Let's go over the episodes first. Let's go over the episodes first. 
first episode is obviously the pilot episode in which Paul Paul Rodriguez plays aspiring TV comic Paul Rivera, a.k.a. Pablo, to his Mexican-American family, whose whole enchilada is ethnic humor poking fun at Mexicans, which gives his proud father a bad case of indigestion. Uh-oh. Put Susan in. Uh-oh. There's Susan. Episode 2, The Big Mouth. Paul's jokes about his family delight Merv Griffin and his studio audience, but infuriate everyone watching at the Rivera's. Yeah, this would be actually the first time, the first time that the family has actually seen his act. And uh, I, I think we need Susan St. James again. Uh-oh. Oh, hi, Susan. Uh-oh. Yeah, that, that sounds like a big uh-oh. This is the first time they've seen his set. Mm-hmm. No boy, no boy, no. Mike, only I can say that. Then say it. No bueno. There you go. Okay, episode three. This is actually a rather detailed episode because it is on display at the Paley Center. This is the only episode of this series that is available for viewing at the Paley Center. And this episode is called. My son, the gringo. Paul's agent, Jose, sets up a meeting for him with Pearl Wallace, the best press agent in town. Jose feels Paul needs much more publicity if he is to become famous. When Paul arrives at Pearl's office, however, she mistakes him for the delivery boy and is thoroughly embarrassed. As the two discuss show business, Pearl suggests that Paul change his last name from Rivera to Rivers. This disturbs Paul whose family is growing upset that he seems to be losing his Mexican background, so he invites Pearl to his house for dinner that night. Unfortunately, Pearl mentions her name change idea, shocking Paul's family, who have been further aggrieved by the news that Paul's nephew, Tomas, has recently flunked Spanish. Uh-oh. Thank you, Susan. Pearl sees the pride which Paul's family has for their heritage and changes her mind about the change of moniker. And in the role of Pearl Wallace. Oh God, if you don't know this name, I I I, I cannot help you. B. Arthur. Wait. And, and, wait, and you know, that B. Arthur? That B. Arthur. Well, it better be that B. Arthur, because how many B. Arthurs are there in the world? And it, and it, it, if you don't know who B. Arthur is. Stop. Don't even, you know, what Does, podcast are you listening to? Seriously, watch a TV, open a book. Everybody knows who B. Arthur is. Like, if you don't know who B. Arthur is, just, just go home, look in the mirror, and tell yourself that you're a failure. You are a failure in life if you don't know who B. Arthur is. You can is. tell I've been watching a lot of Bar Rescue lately. Just go home, look at your look at the mirror. And tell yourself you're a failure. And like I said, this is the only episode that is available for view at the Paley Center. So, if you're ever there. Episode 4, The Presidential Joke Teller. Paul is stopped for speeding on his way to entertain at a presidential dinner. And the police find this story hard to swallow when they find him wearing sneakers 
carrying the wrong ID and packing his prop knife. Uh-oh. And playing the role of the officer from previous entry condo, James Victor. And I believe he is a, he's more appropriately aged on this episode. Oh, wasn't he? Didn't he play the like the the dad of the? Um... He played like the abuelo on a uh, condo. Yeah, yeah. He's at a more appropriate age for this particular episode. Oh, good. And then, oh gosh, episode five. This is another. This is another one of these uh, episodes that has to be a bit of a detail. Episode 5, The Whole Enchilada. Paul gets news that he may get a TV series which overshadows a big day for his niece, her quinceanera. Now, for those of you who are not of the Mexican-American persuasion, and full disclaimer, I am not of the Mexican-American persuasion, I am a Panamanian American. Thank you very much. A quinceañera is basically a gigantic party to celebrate when a when a Mexican American girl turns into a woman on her fifteenth birthday. The, so his brother in law has to deal with his little girl growing up. Everybody parades through the living room. Here's his girl, a pretty dress. Pretty flowers. And the sincerity of the moment was just present. And Paul has really big news. But you have to imagine, nothing is bigger than a girl's quinces. Oh no. So you can imagine where that was a problem. And again, we'll get back to Paul where he thought all of this was a problem in a second. But we have one more episode here. The woman who came to dinner. The arrival of Sylvia's attractive dinner guests provides an opportunity for the men to show who really rules the roost in the battling Rivera household. Wondering if we know who plays the... Uh... Yeah, playing the role of the attractive din- dinner guest, and there's no character name for her on this, is... Ada Maurice, and there's not really a whole lot that uh, I would recognize her from. She was on Star Trek Enterprise uh, as Captain uh, Erica Hernandez. Wait, wait. You're, you're talking about uh, Dita from Mayans MC. And I'll take I'll take your word for it. Yep. But also, and oh, I know this is on our list. She played Maria Conchita Lopez on the Yakov Smirnoff sitcom What a Country. What a Country. Oh, what a country. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, we got to do that eventually. I saw a 30 second commercial of it on YouTube years and years ago. I walked out after 20 seconds. That bad, huh? Oh, it was that bad. Wow. If you want to hear how painful it is, I'll put it right here. What's up on Water Country? I always dream of meeting someone like him. Maria's in love. He's rich, classy, 
Did I say rich? And it's a knockout. Could all that cash... Bonsoir, fellow classmates. Really be trash? Estupido idiota, presumido, baboso. What a country. Watch What a Country, tonight at 7.30 on WHTM, Channel 27. What a country. And also, one more thing that she was on. Uh, she was on, uh, apparently, a week of Family Feud back in 1993, TV Nurses versus Real Nurses. Oh, yeah, because... Because uh, she well, was on Nurses. It was Janet a Cuevas. Yeah, she was on Nurses in 1993. So, yeah. So, there you go. What a Country, Nurses, a.k.a. Pablo. That's the list. And Mayans MC. Am I the only one who remembers Mayans MC? I do not. Oh, also on Star Trek Enterprise. Okay. And those are the episodes. So we had all those episodes, all six of them. And all of them, uh, well, I'm going to let Paul explain it here because, again, it wasn't a show that did terribly, especially when you look at the schedule. And we will look at the schedule at some point of this episode. But here is Paul Rodriguez on what exactly happened to AKA Pablo. Literally, when the series got canceled, I got a call from him. <clears throat> and it was so hard because, not that it got canceled, it was so hard because it was very personal. It was like my family got canceled. I got canceled. It wasn't a TV series. The Mexican-Americans were very, very hard on me. Uh, that series, I, I'll, I'll tell you, didn't get canceled because it didn't get no ratings. It got canceled because of the, the complaints that they received from Mexican-Americans, from Latinos everywhere. The Cubans in Miami didn't understand it, didn't care, but watched. Uh, the Puerto Ricans, what are Mexicans? They didn't understand it. The Mexicans watched and the ratings were big. I remember we got a 28. That's, that, was, that was a huge number. We got a number. And uh, by the third episode, we were toast because the, all the organizations that since have given me their awards were, the, were responsible for it. The, the uh, LULAC, the United League of Latin American Citizens, Ironically enough, just the other day, I, I received their highest award. Uh, the National Council of La Raza, I received the Ruben Salazar Award. And uh, I've told them uh, that uh, they're a dollar late. But, uh, but it, was, it was okay. But deep down in my, in my heart, I go, you know, you can't improve something when it's off the air. You can only improve it while it's, it's on the air, it has life. But we were canceled, and I returned to obscurity for about two years. I, I was in a terrible place because I wasn't able to get a job. It was over for me, and uh, I was not famous enough that I could that I could do sell theaters out and, and make make a living. And uh, it was too late to go back to school. So, so there I was. You know, my dream was to go to Star Stanford to, to be a cardinal, and uh, I had a good shot at it too, boy. I had good grades. And excuse me, I gotta go. Um, but uh, as quick as it came, it went. But uh, but I had nothing else to do, you know. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, well, like Janis Joplin, like the song says that freedom is is, is having uh, nothing else to lose, you know. It, it, it was for me. I wasn't gonna go back to school. The GI Bill was over for me, uh, and I wasn't gonna get a job, and, and so I had no other choice but to continue to do stand up. And uh, it's the best decision I made because it, it has made me, uh, it's afforded me an opportunity to travel, and I've met some of the nicest and people that, that, that I could ever, I can't, I can't fathom any other job, you know? And that's kind of a good point because it's like, you can't improve something while it's off the air. 
you can only improve something while it's on the air. Yeah, and, and it had, like, a very... It's not like it was on against anything that was incredibly huge at the time. In fact, he said it himself. The numbers were pretty decent, especially among the Latin American audiences. But those complaints... There were, there were times when uh, people were going to get on his case and anybody who got absolutely excited over the prospect of a, of a boycott, they were quick to jump on him. Like he said, ironically enough, the same people who would reward him for his work for uh, Latinos everywhere. We're angry about this. We're angry about this. I guess times and tastes change, I guess. Times and tastes change indeed. Of course, uh, we can look at the schedule and see exactly what was actually up against the show. Remember, this was during March and April of 84. It's going to be in the spring. It's after something called Fallops, Leaps, and Blunders, which was a big thing on ABC at the time. That was basically ABC's answer to Bloopers and Practical Jokes with Don Rickles. Mm -hmm. Tuesday at 8.30 was a very plush spot for ABC because uh, what was on it Tuesday at 8.30 in 1983? Happy Days. And mind you, this was Happy Days in its last season. Yeah. And speaking of last season, right after AKA Pablo at 9 o'clock on ABC, Three's Company. Oh, also yeah. Also, that's last season. Also, also, yeah. Also, at this point, basically in reruns, I think, outside of, I think, maybe one or two episodes. The, the, the one where uh, David Ruprecht plays uh, the boyfriend of Chrissy, I believe. And yeah. Hey, David Ruprecht reference. What do you know? But also, another reason that it died, at least on the week that I'm looking, which, uh-huh. is, Mar- which is March 30th. What was on NBC at that time? The second half of the A-Team. Yeah. And, and Greg, because we're big Tom Bray fans, what's after A-Team? Riptide, oh. baby. Riptide, yeah. You having fun there, Greg? Uh-oh. I love Riptide, but you know what, guys? I don't love Riptide as much as I love Wings. There we go. There it is. Well, is Riptide your uh, mid-80s NBC dramatic Wings? No, it's my Stephen J. Cannell Wings. Uh, really? Stephen J. Cannell Wings? That That's a pretty lofty accomplishment. You oh, mean yeah. your Stephen J. Cannell Wings isn't the greatest American hero? No. Because my that's my Stephen J. Cannell Wings. Yeah, you know what? Both of you blow it out your ass. My Stephen J. Canal wings is former episode Caesar's Challenge. Oh, uh, yeah, he did do that, didn't he? He did yes, do that, did. but that's cheating. Bull crap, it's cheating. It's my wings, not your wings. But did Caesar's Challenge have a robot? No, Caesar's Challenge had two. Count it, two. Actually, I think they may have had three. Three people pulling the the lever, Dan Doherty and Chad Brown, and there was some guy named Zach who was there for like the first week or something. Some guy named Zach. 
And, and of some course, guy and, named Zach. Some okay. guy named Zach. But you know, we did have you know, Chad Brown, former poker player, not with us any longer. We had Dan Doherty, who did adult movies, and this mystery Zach. <laughs> who who is Zach? I guess we'll never know. It, it, it's like the ending to Beat the Clock in 1979. We'll never see it. A shame. Damn And I'm going to have nightmares about it. Uh, that's crazy. Well, I do have the ratings for the second week's episode. Okay. From, uh, from March 10th. There were, oh no, I can't say how many TV shows were on that week. 69. Nice. Oh. Okay. So there were that many TV shows on that week. Anybody want to take a guess where it rated? I'm going to take a good guess here. 59. Okay. Chico? Uh, 46. Well, Chico's closer. 41. Oh, really? That's, really? Pretty, that's pretty hyper. Uh, that's decent. It's middle of the road. It's middle well, of the road. Yeah, let me give you some shows uh, around that area. Uh, we'll look at like from 31 uh, down to 40. So these okay. are just slightly above AKA Pablo. Okay. The F at 31 is the aforementioned uh, foul ups, bleeps, and blunders. Okay. 32 is a little show called Cheers. Oh, yeah, because this would be Cheers in its second season. The, the, this would be, yeah, the second season. And, and it's slowly finding an audience because, as we mentioned in the past, regarding the 83-84 season. If you remember, Cheers was on at 9.30 at the start of the season because We Got It Made was on at 9. And then when it got canceled, they moved it to 9 o'clock. And then at 34, we have Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Oh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, a classic. Bruce Boxlunder and Kate Jackson. And don't forget Martha Smith. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And 36th was, well, you know, again, obligatory references here, Night Court. Oh, yeah. So it had similar rings to Night Court at this point. Yeah. Uh, 37, TJ Hooker, 38, Three's Company, 39, Benson, 40, Aftermash, 41, AKA Pablo. But now, below Pablo, these are below Pablo. Below, below AKA, AKA Pablo. Pablo. Okay, what's yeah. below pa- AKA Pablo? 43rd, St. Elsewhere. What? Well, what's forty second? Lottery. Oh, lottery! Uh, yeah, yeah. Did, did I have to say that. Forty four. Future installment we're doing later this year. Domestic life. Oh. Okay. Forty six. I believe that would be on the same night as AKA Pablo. Uh, I believe you are right. And actually, the, the TV schedule for the week that I was looking at. It was not on. It was actually oh. the Miss Teen USA pageant. Oh. Yeah. Uh, 46, another name. Surprise. Another one that took maybe four or five years to develop a head of steam. Newhart. Oh, that's right. Because it would. this would be the first season of New... No, second. second no, this season. would be... this. No, third... Second season. No, second season. Yeah, fall first of season was 82-83. What's 45th? Right. Uh, a Mike Hammer movie. Oh, Mike! Oh, uh, uh, can't get but, enough but, Mike but, Hammer but, on this podcast today. Yeah, uh, that's. I'm guessing it's a movie before it was actually a full fledged series. Uh, 48. 48. Oh, Greg, Greg, sit down. Well, what's 47 first? Something called Blue Thunder. <laughs> 
48. 48. Greg, calm down. Is it O'Madeline? Uh, it's Auto Man. Oh. oh. This is like near the end of Auto Man. It's it's still Auto Man. What wasn't Zippers near the end of, of Auto well, Man? Zippers room? was the Zippers the was the so, end so of Auto Man. For all we know, this could be the Zippers episode. For this, well, what, hold on. What date did you say this was? Uh this would have been the thirteenth of March. Okay, let me look. <laughs> He's looking. He's doing live research. Live research, oh, ladies no, and gentlemen. No, no, it's the Murder MTV episode with Laura Brannigan. Zippers wasn't until the next in two weeks, March twenty sixth. Oh, darn. Uh, and then 50 is Mama's Family. Remember when it was on NBC? Yes. Yep. Betty White was on that run of Mama's Family on NBC. Yeah, she was a yep. regular. 51. F- f- 51. Greg, now you say Oh, Madeline. Oh, Madeline. Oh, oh Madeline at 51. 54, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Believe it or not. The best version of that show, Don't Fight Me. Jack Palance. Jack Palance is oh he was the best. Oh. fifty seven was Buffalo Bill again, popular for a very short period, but uh, we're going to cover it eventually. Uh, fifty eight one day at a time again near at the end of its run. And since we mentioned it, I don't remember what show we mentioned. It wasn't that long ago. It was within the last two to three months. Second from the bottom, number sixty eight, first camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, first camera. So what would be the creme de la crap of this season? Oh, the Mr. Uh, Irrelevant, if you would. Of oh, this, the, the, the uh, last? Uh, yeah, this, it's this week. Of this, this week. week. Yeah, Sorry. You're talk- oh, you're the Mr. About- Irrelevant of this week. You, you're, oh, you're talking about number 68 plus one? Yeah. Yeah, Ariana Grande. I'm talking about 34, 35. Okay, I, I just didn't want you to say that word. Okay, uh, it was actually LaRouche political broadcast. Lyndon LaRouche may have done his like own paid commercial for election 84. It seems reasonable. That would definitely be something from that uh, time period. Oh, yeah, because this would be the 84 primaries. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently Lyndon LaRouche may have bought some time on one of the networks and basically done an infomercial about why he should be president. Well, Ross Perot did it better eight years later. And Barack Obama is still undefeated in that category. Both not wrong. Hey, do you think we should put the Ross Perot infomercial on the list? Yeah, right after you put the Mike Liddell Cyber Symposium on that. All right. Oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, God. I was watching clips of that today. Mike Liddell. Yeah. I, was, I was watching clips of Seth Meyers watching clips. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to get too far into it because this is not that podcast. But no. Let's just say this. As far as commercial pitchmen go, we have more respect for Vince from ShamWow. You know why? You're going to love my nuts. You're going to love his nuts, exactly. Hi, it's Fitz with Slap Chop. You're going to be in a great mood all day because you're going to be slapping my nuts with a Slap Chop. Now, look, here's my nuts. One slap, you're going to love my nuts. Two slaps, you're going to love my nuts. Look at this. But you add a mushroom, slap my nuts. Oh, one other show I forgot. 56, another very long-running show, and this is sort of in its heyday. Uh, 2020. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, it was on 
Uh, Thursday night's 10 o'clock at this point. Didn't move to Friday. And yeah. Is, yeah, Bar- uh, is Barbara on the show yet? Not still just yet. Yeah, no. And, and you know what? It did not help that 2020 was airing after It's Not Easy or a Masquerade or a Lottery or Two Marriages, all of which are on this list. Good heavens. Jeez, that's a... No wonder NBC gained momentum on Thursday nights. And honestly, taking a look here, these are the uh, ratings by network for this week that ended March 18th of 84. Uh-huh. ABC was on top. I'm not surprised. Well, no. Dynasty, uh, you look here, Dynasty was number one. Uh, Hotel was number seven. Love Boat was number 15. The Love Boat. Yeah, thank you, Ernie. Hardcastle and McCormick was 17. Matt Houston was 21. Webster, oh. 22. Oh. All Guy, 24. So, yeah, I mean, it all adds up to uh, ABC doing pretty decent. Yeah. Yep. In spite yep. of AKA Pablo. They could not make AKA Pablo work, though. No. You know, just based on what we said, it had its issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean, just taking a look at the names of the episodes. Seriously, you you had an episode called "The Whole Enchilada," mm. "My Son the Gringo." Yeah, that, like I said, uh, like I said, it's 1984. 19, it's 1984, it, and white Hollywood was trying way too hard. Right. No, I get that, but yeah, it's. It's trying way too hard. Well, before we wrap this up, I do have one more bit of nugget, and this is from actually a set that Paul Rodriguez did for Nouveau TV. Oh, which pretty much sums up well everything that went wrong with AKA Pablo. I was, uh, I had the dubious distinction of having the first television series on an American channel was AKA Pablo. A lot of you. Don't remember, that's why I'm reminding you. (laughs) A.K. Pablo was an attempt by Norman Lear to bring Latinos into American households. I didn't know nothing about television, but I knew it was a failure from the beginning, so I took the money and shut up. (laughs) This man, who's still alive today, is a great uh, friend, a liberal. Let me tell you how great he is. When he got divorced, his old lady didn't even have to take him to court. He gave her $110 million just to warm her up. She uh, started a magazine called Lear. It failed. She went back to Norman. Norman, the magazine didn't work. He gave her another $110 million. I'd have married him. <laughs> He's a good man. He's done a lot of causes. Some people disagree, but this is not what America's all about. Anyways, A.K. Pablo's a story about a stand-up comic who's trying to make it. But the problem is, when they casted it, they casted it with multi-ethnic Latinos, not to Caucasian America, who don't understand our language, a Cuban and a Puerto Rican and a Mexican. We sound funny to you, the same. But to us, we knew, hey, how could this guy be in a Mexican family? He sounds like a Puerto Rican. <laughs> how can Joe Santos, who's an Italian, be the father of this Mexican guy, and Katie Jurado, who's not even a citizen, she speaks, how did, it didn't make no sense to them. So, it was a good... Uh, Eight episodes. Well, say that, but yeah, you might say, oh, but back then there's only ABC, NBC, and CBS, right? It was big time. 
Yeah, I went to sleep. Nobody knew who I was. I woke up. I was on the cover of Time Magazine. So much so that the Indian guy at the, at the liquor store next door, he didn't follow me around the store no more. <laughs> I was Mr. Rodriguez. Yeah, man, it was amazing. Man, the money started to come in. I was famous. That's B. Arthur, man. I was swinging the big time. I thought this would never stop, man. I was making 18,000 bucks a week. Man, I know it's money now, but back then it was money, money. I ran down to the Cadillac uh, uh, store right there on Sunset Boulevard. I bought my dad a Cadillac. I drove it home. My father said, ¿Estás vendiendo drogas? I said, no, no, I got you a Cadillac. Take the thing out of there. No, Dad, me están pagando 18 a week. I said, ¿Qué estás haciendo? What are you doing for that kind of money? Well, Dad, I stand up. I told you, man, I saw Cal, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing comedy. He goes, all right, leave the car. <laughs> you know, ain't nothing but, but money will change. My dad, I miss him. I wonder what he would say now. My mom thinks he's up in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> all right, one, I, I, this is totally off topic. One thing I do want to add about the Lyndon LaRouche uh, infomercials, essentially, uh, while we we're watching that video, I did a little bit of research about what the LaRouche political broadcast was. It was basically an infomercial. In 1984, he was able to raise enough money to purchase 14 spots. Oh. 14, 14 at $330,000 each. I wonder what the return of investment was on that stuff. Uh, it was a negative return on investment. And he did attack Walter Mondale. Rest in peace since he just died recently. Uh, he, he was the Democratic uh, candidate for president, in case you don't know. He called him a Soviet agent of influence. And that got over a thousand complaints. Yeah. I'm shocked. No, really. This is my... Oh, hold on. I got a text message here. Okay. Yeah, I, I texted you saying, show us your shock face. Shocked face. Yeah. So he spent close to $5 million on these ads. Great return on investment. And by great, I mean there's none. All I could say is, a.k.a. Pablo got a better return on investment. You could actually watch it at the Paley Center. Where can you watch the LaRouche political broadcast nowadays? So, that's pretty much all she wrote. I mean, it was a landmark idea at the time. Paul Rodriguez walked. So, people like John Leguizamo, George Lopez, um, uh, Justina Machado... He crawled so they could walk. Yes, he did. By the way, this isn't going to be the last time we'll be talking about a Paul Rodriguez sitcom on this podcast because we're going to eventually talk about one day Grand Slam. Oh. Another one of our list of shows that aired after the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. We're, we're not talking about the GSN show? No. Not that we, show. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But, but if we wanted to, we could. But no. And also, I'm pretty sure this is on the list. And if it isn't, dang it, it needs to be. We need to talk about Trial and Error. Thank another you. Another Paul Rodriguez the, show. Thank you. The original version, not the one later version of John Lithgow. With, with, with Paul Rodriguez and Eddie Velez's childhood, 
They're growing up in the barrio. One goes to law school, the other stays behind. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in like '87 or so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember watching that when it first came out. So do I. I was, I was all of seven at the time. I remember when that first came out. I was th- I, 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 when I when we were actually planning out what like all the shows that we were going to do. I honestly thought that Trial and Error was AKA Pablo. I was three. I was too busy playing the Big Bird Egg Game on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred Junior. I was about to say, what were you playing the uh, fish game while watching the Transformers or something? No, wait, Greg, you had the controller, that special controller to play uh, that Big Bird game? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. I actually, I, I found a copy of the game without the controller. I found the controller a few years ago. Yeah. I can play the Big Bird egg uh, game. That was the first game video game I ever played. This is the facts you get on this podcast. First video game I ever played was that Big Bird egg game on the Atari 2600 Junior. We didn't get an NES till like, Christmas 88. With like Super Mario Duck Hunt and world class track meet with the power pad. Bro, you needed to catch up, man, because I got mine on Christmas. Christmas of 86 at the Alexander House. We was playing Super Mario Brothers all day. All day. I think my parents just got an Atari 2600 Junior back then, because let's be honest, Atari 2600 games were like super cheap probably back in 86. They were super cheap, but they were also really fun. Yes. Oh, I remember getting Atari 2600 games back in 86 for 99 cents. I got ah. Van I got Vanguard new for 99 cents and Vanguard is one of the best Atari adaptations. How about that? Okay. So, AKA Pablo, what do we have to say about this before we wrap it up? Well, like I said, AKA Pablo was landmark. Uh, Paul Rodriguez crawled so people like George Lopez, John Leguizamo, Gabriel Iglesias, Fluffy, and uh, Justina Machado could walk. But back when it aired in 1984, a.k.a. Pablo, era algo en la tele. What about Al Gore, Chico? jeez. Ay, carajo mío. Ay. Oh, Greg needs to go to church on I, Sunday. I, I'm dumb and white. Oh, jeez. Well, you can uh, listen to Greg be dumb and white on previous installments. So for it, it was a thing on TV.com. We've got all the live episodes, all the mini-sodes, all the previous episodes, and, of course, bonuses. From our good friends at Place to Be Nation. Okay. What do we got? Okay, Wednesday. We got, okay, we got the first episode, which is going to be, uh, so it's a three-episode drop because we did three episodes last week. It's Bruce Forsyth's Hot Streak, Ric Flair commercials, and Disco Demolition Night. Sweet! Oh, and by the way, before we wrap this up, I want to mention in the last like two weeks or so, I think we've been accurate. We've kind of been predictors of the future because in the beans Baxter episode, we talked about one crazy summer. What happens right after that episode comes out? Warner archive announces they're releasing a Blu-ray of it. And then in Bruce Forsyth's hot streak, we talk about few and what happens. Buzzer, Buzzer and- acquires few. 
which means Mike is finally going to get closure from 1980. No, I'm not going to get closure unless they show Beat the Clock. Oh. I love Few, but the thing is, the closure has to do with Beat the Clock. All I'm saying is, I hope ABC is watching Buzzer in September, and I hope Rob Mills gets an idea. Oh, 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 that would be absolutely Chico says epic. with a gigantic smile on his face. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that'd be awesome for summer fun and games, wouldn't it? Oh, my oh gosh. but hey, it would be a load better than the celebrity dating game. I'll tell you that much. Hey, maybe since we predict the future so much, since we mentioned Riptide, maybe it's one of these cable stations might air Riptide. Who knows? Or even better, reboot it with a lifelike robot. Maybe Tom Bray could just email us. That'd be great, too. Yeah, I'd take it. I'd be saying, I'm so happy that you were on Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour the week I was bored. Although you didn't have the 30, it was Ed Begley Jr. who had the 30. Yeah, Tom Bray never had the 30. What the heck? What the heck? I know. Tom should have had the 30. Tom should have had the 30, man. We we should take Ed Begley's TARDIS back to 1984 and switch the numbers while somebody's not looking. Oh, that would be terrible. I'm in. Anyway, next time when we get together, we're going to talk about a nerd. And not just any nerd. The nerd who made the 80s. Are we talking about the nerd pilot from 1989 again that didn't air till 1996? No. No, we've already done that. Oh, I thought we were going to revisit it. No. We're talking about a nerd that absolutely nobody could find. And when somebody did find him, Burger King had to call in the feds. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hold on a second. No one could find him? Nobody could find him. Was he found by John Cena? I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> say goodnight to the good people, Greg. Say goodnight to the good people, Greg. Uh, that's coming up next time on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening and have a great week, everyone. Wow! Tuesday, ups and downs from the world of sports, television, and the movies. Foul up, bleeps, and blunders. Then, what do you get when you cross a hustling agent named Jose Shapiro? Que pasa, booby? With a Latino comic from a family of 16. Oh, yeah, now we're the only family in our neighborhood with its own area code. You get Norman Lear's, a.k.a. Pablo, premiering right after Foul Ups, Bleeps, and Blunders, all starting at 8, 7, Central and Mountain, Tuesday.